Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Lewis. Lewis sent me probably one of the longest emails I've ever received from this podcast. Um, he had a kind of a miniature essay uh, that was basically talking about Dark Souls as the human condition. It got my attention, and so me and him sat down and we talked all about that and his religion and his difficulty as a child kind of adjusting during some things and how Dark Souls helped him out with that. It's a really interesting conversation and kind of a a different take on what this podcast usually is. I I think you guys are going to enjoy it. He's also a musician, so as always, uh, or not as always, but as I like to do, um, I've included some of his music at the back end after the credits, so pay attention to that. Um, If you'd like to come on the show, just go to www.dontgiveupskeleton.com and all of the instructions will be there for you. It's very, very easy. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Tell me about the first time that you ever played a Souls game. So the first time I played a Souls game was spring 2013. Uh, at that time... I'd been dating this girl for two years. She finished school. We were both at Brigham Young in Provo, Utah. Mm -hmm. And she finished school and got this fellowship in Detroit. And I grew up in Ohio. So we took a road trip where we went to Ohio first for one of my childhood friend's wedding. It was in Cincinnati. Then I went and visited my hometown in Columbus. And then from there... Uh, we drove up to Detroit, and my car was full of all her stuff, and helped her move in. Spent a couple of days there, and then I drove back alone uh, from Detroit to Provo, Utah. And I got home, and I didn't have a girlfriend anymore. Well, I mean, I did, but she was on the other side of the country, and I had all this free time. So I was like, "All right, I'll finally get a PS3." I've been waiting years to get a PS3 all these games I wanted to play and I finally got it. I got all these different games, got them all used, usually at GameStop, so I don't have to pay that much. You know, Skyrim, uh, Arkham Effect, 3D Dot Game Heroes, Nino Kuni, like all these great games. And I got Dark Souls, of course, because I had watched a lot of uh, Geop's Let's Play of it. Thought it was really funny, Mm -hmm. really entertaining. It seemed like such an interesting game. And I'm bad at video games, so I was always a little hesitant. I was like, everyone always talks about great Dark Souls days, but I assume those are all like hardcore gamers, and I would never be able to play it. But I got it anyway, because it cost me $15. Which is an excellent price for Dark Souls. Yeah, that's the most bang for my buck I've ever gotten in my life. And so I got that game. Started playing it. You know, took me a while to just to get through the asylum. I was terrible at it. You know, had our time with the controls, did all the classic mistakes, went through the, like, went, tried to go through the graveyard first. You fight the skeletons, and I was like, oh, yep, yeah, this game is as hard as I thought it was. No way I can get through this. Kind of gave up a little. But then I went back to Geops Let's Play and watched a little bit from the beginning and realized I was going the wrong way. And mm-hmm. watching that was sort of my way of having a walkthrough through tougher areas because he was going through all the first time and was like really cautious and careful and it was a way for me to experience it without totally spoiling myself 
Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you butt your head against those skeletons for a while and then you realize you're going the wrong way. And then suddenly everyone's really easy. They're like, oh, it's not quite as hard as I thought it was. It was still really difficult. And I was in the undead burg for a long time. And I was going through it pretty slow, trying to play those other games I got to. But I kept going back to Dark Souls. I wasn't really having that much fun with any of those other games. Because Dark Souls, even as terrible as I was, I liked the combat. I liked the way it controlled. And I wanted to get better at mm-hmm. it. So I just kept pushing and pushing. And, you know, I got through the... Did the real rookie thing and went for the Drake Sword. And kept that for a long time before I realized, you know, it's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's good for the early game. Yeah, I mean, so. it's great for the early game, but I definitely used it for too long. And it's really funny to play through it now and get through all of that stuff in like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in I was in the Berg for like 6 hours before I beat the oh, first yeah, game. Me too. Just tr- just trying to figure out like how to block correctly and like why do I keep kicking and why can't I, you know, stop my sword when I swing and stuff like that. Like just trying to figure all that stuff out. Yeah, I went through a lot of the game before I realized how stamina worked and I couldn't keep my shield up all the time. Cause my favorite game series by far had always been The Legend of Zelda. I played a lot of Zelda games. I was trying to play Dark Souls like Zelda. Uh the something awful forms. I'm still the OP of all the Zelda threads. I have been for the last like seven years. Oh, okay, and cool. Makba on something awful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's your, me. <laughs> you put that. You put that in your original email yeah, to I me, and I couldn't. My email. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, I'll post in the in the Dark Souls thread now, man. I always saw you in there too, and your little videos, and always loved those. Thought mm-hmm. they were really funny. I'm ashamed to say that I was um, probably like the number one poster in that Dark Souls thread for a good year and a half, two years. I don't know where it is now because I've kind of. <laughs> I believe it. I don't re- I don't regularly look at something awful anymore, but uh, man, for a couple of years, oh, it was I know bad. You I was there. I was addicted. I saw you there. You see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so went through the whole first Dark Souls game. Uh, I was always scared to go uh, turn human because I didn't want to get invaded. I was so afraid of being invaded, and I didn't know like how finite humanities were, so I never wanted to waste them. But then by the time I got to mm-hmm. Anor Orlando, I'd gone through, I never co-opt at all. And I was stuck in Anor Orlando for a long time. I had a really hard time with it. And I accidentally got stuck in the painted world because a friend of mine told me to go and get the uh, uh, rusted, rusted iron ring. Is that right? Yeah, the rusted iron the ring. The rusted iron ring. And when I did that, I got the doll too. And so I accidentally went into the painted world and I was really stuck in there. I was in there for a long time, like weeks. I didn't even open the game because I didn't know what to do. Uh, eventually, I think a friend of mine who was playing through the game with me, he either beat it for me or told me what to do. It was one or the other, but I definitely needed his help. And he's someone who's just better at video games than me in general. And so after I finally got out of that, I was in Andorlando, and that's when I finally started co-oping. And I realized I had so much more fun with the game when I was playing with other people. Not just because it's easier, but I like it as a social activity. Even though it's these people you can't talk to, you don't really know anything about them. 
through, you know, jesters and murder. Mm -hmm. But it was really satisfying to have, you know, two guys with me helping me kill those little, all those little white gargoyles, help me get past the archers and inside. And when I lit that bonfire in inside the castle, that was maybe one of my most proud video game moments. <laughs> I was like, finally I'm in. And every time I play through it, that is the bonfire that I feel the best about, even though it doesn't give me quite as much trouble. Like sometimes I get through on my first try. But, mm. you know, when you get past that, that one archer, you know, the one, every time I get past him, I'm just like, yes. As long as I don't get There's always a moment of trepidation at- as you as you run run into that dude of like is it is something dumb gonna happen i'm just gonna fall off the side like i'm gonna have to run all the way back here like there's always that that certain area where something could go wrong like there's that feeling that something could go wrong and yeah and i just had other people beat it for me the first time and i was like good <laughs> i don't want to deal with it i want to enjoy this game and get through it i mean there's a reason those archers are the most infamous enemies in the entire soul series Oh, they, they're very specifically made for that purpose, yeah. I believe. They're a huge bottleneck. Or a very small bottleneck, if you will. Uh, yeah, so after I got through that, went through the rest of the game, co-oped some of it, did a lot of it solo. Uh, definitely looked at a lot of wikis and throughs. And got, like I said, I made all the rookie mistakes. I even leveled up resistance at least twice. <laughs> Resistance seems like such a good stat. Like, oh, hey, I can resist damage. That sounds like a oh, great thing. Huge waste of everyone's time. What <laughs> a troll yeah. move. Thank you, Miyazaki. Uh, Miyazaki, one of my heroes, but man. <laughs> so that was uh, how I spent a lot of the summer, spring and summer of 2013 was playing Dark Souls. All those other PlayStation games I had just didn't even get played. <laughs> like I've heard you talk about it on your podcast. I hear it a lot. Dark Souls completely ruined Skyrim for me. I could not play Skyrim. Yep. I've tried to play that game like four times. I maybe play for an hour and I'm like, why am I bothering with this? I'll just play Dark Souls. Yep. <laughs> uh, so after that I always, you know, kept up on all the releases. I got Dark Souls 2 on Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 all on release today. It's definitely been a big part of my gaming life for the last three years and was really the only game I played for a while. I didn't really play that many video games before that. Like, I, of course, I did as a kid. I always played Zelda games, played a lot of Super Smash Brothers in high school. But during college, I wasn't playing that many video games. And Dark Souls was my game. It was my favorite games of all time. That's why I'm on here. <laughs> yeah it's not, so it turns you into a fan like when do you think it got its hooks into you like the moment that you started playing around with the controls and realizing like how the character controlled or was it did it take some time for the story to kick in to get you pulled in completely to the universe uh i mean the story wasn't something i really f- understood on my own at all like a lot of people i liked watching the lore videos all those body videos and people like him uh, it was really interesting to me I still, back then, I even still feel like Vadi videos are a little, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of assumption in it, but that's Mm -hmm. the beauty of those games is how we can interpret them. 
And, you know, that's why I'm on here because I have my own interpretations. Yeah, there's always room for, you know, your headcanon or what have you. I think the the problem that I run into with people like Vadi and some other lore people out there is that they're they're so popular um, that once they say something, the community seems to take it as like, oh, yeah, that's just the way it is. Vadi said so. And, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> Vadi said so. But like other people could make up their minds too. like it's just, you know, they, they're taking this stuff and looking at it in a logical fashion and going, OK, and drawing conclusions from it. But literally anybody else could do that. And, you know, you can have an argument on who's is sounder, or who's is you know, more complete or more accurate or whatever. But at a certain point, you're all just making shit up. <laughs> yeah. A video game. yeah, it's a video game. <laughs> you know, us Americans, we're really susceptible to soothing British accents. Mm hmm. British, Australian, you know, just if, if it's a foreign accent, like it talks in kind of a deep voice, we're probably just going to sit there and listen to it. Yeah, that's why I've enjoyed some of your latest episodes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty British heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's a very, yeah, uh, um, it's a very European game. It is like Dark Souls um, is, I think, kind of different in that regard. Like, um, like I think that it, it brings people together across continents, like where most games, I don't really think has that kind of pull like most people don't really want to talk about other games online other than to say if they're good or bad but like dark souls gets gets inside people's heads and like you know stuff can come out from that from using dark souls as a lens into your own life in some way yeah exactly i mean i don't really pay too much attention to other gaming communities dark souls and zelda and rocket league is about it Those are three games, three series that are worth your time. Absolutely. Yeah. But Zelda's not as up for interpretation. Yeah, people will argue about the timeline or whatever, but it doesn't enable the kind of discussion that Dark Souls does. I don't know what games do, really. You know, uh, we, I always ask this because I, was, I don't really pay a lot of attention to video game communities either. And, like, I remember asking, like, are there, like, Call of Duty lore videos? <laughs> Like, do people dissect, you know, uh, whatever trailers, like, for the next, like, Battlefield trailers for, like, all of the weird story bits? Like, there's no way, right? Like, this is just a Dark Souls thing. Like, I can't really think of another series that holds up under this kind of scrutiny like Dark Souls does, especially now in 2016 with Vadi making videos about trailers and, you know, gameplay footage for this revealed a month before DLC comes out. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's bad. Like, that's... That's 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 a thing that he does. Like I'm not calling him out for that, but like that level of scrutiny, like no other video game has that, and I, I don't think any other video game could really hold up under that kind of scrutiny. Yeah, and it works because it's so opaque. <laughs> Dark Souls is a lot like the Bible. There's the Bible is the most wildly interpreted book that has ever. But so much of it is so easy to push whichever way you want, and Dark Souls works like that because it lets you they don't make anything easy and for all i know you know miyazaki and crew all of our interpretations are just coincidence they might not be intending any of it yeah there's there's something about um the the way that the story is presented which is you know 75 percent item descriptions that have make it feel like you're reading a book with a bunch of the pages torn out (laughs) yeah exactly and and, and maybe some of those pages have been put back in, but weren't in the original book. And maybe some of that information is totally wrong. Like some of it could disagree with other things, like just kind of taking her Bible analogy a little, a little bit further. Like it's, it definitely feels that way sometimes of like, 
not necessarily trusting everything that the game is tell you, telling you, but also relying solely on what the game is telling you to be able to determine what, what's happening inside of it. And that's that's always an interesting thing when you have to say to yourself, like, okay, well, all of these item descriptions I think are fine, but this one I don't really agree with because it does it makes all of the rest of the stuff I believe invalid. So I'm not I'm just going to ignore that thing over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was surprised at how angry some people got about uh, the unnamed king or the nameless king in Dark Souls 3 mm-hmm. because it ruined all their theories about Solaire being the firstborn. And I played through <laughs> I played through that game a lot and I I've been like I guess Solaire could be the firstborn but it seemed like a stretch cuz I like Solaire as just some, you know, positive dude that <laughs> wants to go on an adventure. Yeah, he's just he's just there just like you are. Like he's got his own shit that he's doing, but like he's just there like moving through this world and living his own life like he doesn't ha- not, not every character that you meet has to be tied into like the main plot of the game. yeah That's, yeah exactly so I, I agree totally i was i was actually kind of when i realized what they were doing with the nameless king i was like okay well i don't really care about that one little loose end that's always been there but i'm glad that it's no longer solaire because i never liked the solaire as the you know gwen son or whatever theories so yeah exactly of course now we have uh theories about Solaire being Estes soup and Solaire being <laughs> the worm and uh, the smoldering lake, which I like even less. So no Solaire theory is good for me at all ever. Yeah. You know, I just like Solaire as your weird bisexual buddy that will always hit on you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what he's about. You know, nameless King on the other hand is a real piece of shit. <laughs> it's a hell of a boss. That's fight, the only that's boss sure. fight that gave him. Me- Almost as much Orphan of Cause. <laughs> yeah, or- Orphan of Cause is another one of those really aggressive fights. But at least with Orphan of Cause, like you're not fighting the camera for the first half of the fight. Like he pretty much like you can track him and what he's doing. Versus you know that first phase of Nameless King with that dragon fight is just <laughs> see. I didn't have too much trouble with respect. the first phase because I played a faith build on my first try. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time I actually bothered to beat the Nameless King, and so I could just aim lightning right at the dragon's head and that takes it out pretty easy especially i was at you know in my end game levels i was as high leveled as i got pretty much nice i think about that that second phase for me yeah the second phase the infinite poise and and i never got and summoning was almost impossible because i was playing that the same time everybody else was it was the first week the game was out and i could never get summons when i did they always died almost immediately so, you know, stuck playing that guy alone. Mm-hmm. And I like that as Gwen's first son. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, he's so angry about that. He destroys all the statues. Of course, he's the biggest bastard in the Dark Souls series. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And the things they do with Ornstein to tie it all into that stuff is, is it's interesting. Um, like a lot of Dark Souls 3 lore, I don't. I don't particularly think it makes this stuff from Dark Souls one better, and I don't necessarily think they were question. They were they're they're providing answers to questions I didn't even really care to ask. Like, I don't really care what had happened to Gwen's firstborn. I just assumed that he left or like some. They had a fight, like dads and sons fight. So, but I also understand that like if you're going to make a sequel, you're going to answer questions. So I'm I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I found the answer to be uh, satisfying. Mm-hmm the way he betrayed Gwen to join up with the dragons. And we see him riding this, you know, pretty badass dragon. And for me, it's like, Oh yeah, I get it now. He really did betray his father pretty hard. Like he earned, he earned getting his statue destroyed. 
<laughs> so after you finished uh, Dark Souls 1 for the first time, you said it was in 2013, so by that point, uh, Dark Souls 2 was either already out or it was coming pretty uh, quick. Dark Souls um, 2 came out early 2014. 2014? Okay, yeah. I'm getting my computers confused. <laughs> Were you? Did you go back through Dark Souls 1 and just play it with different builds or get yeah, into PvP? It. Or what, what was your... I what never really got into the PvP of Dark Souls 1, mm-hmm. and I probably only finished it twice before Dark Souls 2 came out. Really loved Dark Souls 2 when it came out. Uh, got it the day you know it was released. Had a ton of fun with it. I found it a little easier than Dark Souls 1 overall. I mean, it helped I'd already beat a Dark Souls game. And Dark Souls 2... The highs aren't nearly as high as Dark Souls 1, but the lows aren't as low. You know, I don't really complain about too many of the areas. Even the really terrible areas like, uh, uh, what's that green place? Harvest Valley. (laughs) Harvest Valley. Mm -hmm. Even that's pretty short. Like, you're not in there very long. I can get through Harvest Valley in two minutes if I wanted to. (laughs) And it's, you know, capped by the easiest boss in the entire series. This yeah, that's true. Yeah, Covetous Demon is, is, is pretty weak. So. Maybe harder than Pinwheel, but uh, not much. But I really loved Dark Souls 2 when it was out, you know, for the first few months at least. And that was one where I got into PvP a lot more. I was really into invading at the Bell Tower. Oh, yeah. Especially because that was the only way to get Titanite chunks. Yeah, and if you I wanted to upgrade spent... your weapon, you, you hung out in, that, in, that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, in those hours for a long time. Exactly. I would just hang out in there for hours at a time. Like, you know, I'd be doing other stuff, have my laptop open, but I'd have the game going, get summoned in, kill some guys, go back to what I was doing. And I did that for a long time. Hmm. But then after, uh, how long had that game been out? It'd been out for you know, a few months, and then I finally went back to Dark Souls 1, and I started playing it more, messing around with more builds, and I had a lot more fun with it. And now every time I go back to Dark Souls 2, I just don't really enjoy it. Like, I understand all the complaints people have. For me, the, my complaints about it are more with the controls and the animations. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't like the way it feels, the way the other games feel mm-hmm. that's my main issue with it i don't really mind the level design as much i know it's not the real beauty of dark souls one that none of the other games have matched is the way the entire world interconnects and overlaps and it's so vertical yep and none of the other games have been able to do that which is a real bummer but that's not as bad as the controls of dark souls 2 for me that, that's where my issues mainly lie as well like the and I've talked about it like 17 zillion times, I think, by this point. But um, just the way that the heavy weapons don't particularly feel heavy. Um, and, you know, the way that the enemies can kind of rotate on a turntable to attack you, like in the middle of a Oh, yeah, that was yeah, really like, annoying. Yeah, some of that stuff. Like, just at least really animate them, walk. At least have them make the same turn, but make their legs move correctly. Yeah, like literally, just don't literally turn them on an axis. Which, which I mean, I realize that, you know, the... The development history of Dark Souls Two was, was troubled. Like they scrapped everything they had midway through, yeah, exactly. restarted it, and all this other stuff. Like I, I get it, and they they came back with Scholar, and I think you know they 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 put a bow on that game and made it real 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 nice. But there's <laughs> Actually, a reason that I don't go vanilla. back. You prefer vanilla over Scholar? 
Yeah, I don't like the enemy placements in Scholar. I feel like it's all just trolling you all the time. <laughs> it's, it kind of feels like it was built to troll people who were familiar with Dark Souls 2. Exactly. I don't think I ever even successfully beat the Smelter Demon in Scholar. Because the run-up to it is so obnoxious that by the time I get to it, I'm like so exhausted that I don't play very well and I never beat it. Whereas in Vanilla... Uh, Dark Souls 2, that wasn't that big a problem. I didn't even have as I didn't really have as many issues with Smelter Demon as a lot of people did. He was he was a pain in the ass when that game came out, man. Like, you know, they put that NPC summon there that but Lucatil would die. Like he would the Smelter Demon could look at her and like in a weird way and she would just fall off the edge. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing co op for pretty much all of Dark Souls 2. Because that was the way I enjoyed the game. I know a lot of more hardcore people are like it for real if you're not doing it alone i'm like yeah whatever i don't need that yeah i don't i don't i don't hold any kind of stuff like if you're having fun playing the game then like play it however you want to i, I don't i'm not going to take away anyone's joy about that like that seems kind of a ridiculous standard to hold everybody <laughs> to like exactly you, you can't use the multiplayer features of this game like in no other game to do people tell you that like oh no no sorry you know you can't play destiny multiplayer that's that's that makes it too easy like what what are you talking about <laughs> that's half the game more for most of it so yeah i don't i don't think anybody actually says that about destiny it just happens to be the game that's on my tv right now so that's why i went for it <clears throat> all i know is a year ago i beat orange scene and smog in a soul level one character so no one could say shit to me anymore <laughs> Except for those people who are like, oh, you use pyromancy? That doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. You can't use pyromancy. It has to be melee yeah. only. Yeah. You have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. I was like, that's the first time I actually beat them without any summons, too. That's a hell of a fight at soul level one. Like, that's that's a, you know, you can sometimes take one hit, but most of the time it's, you know, one hit is going to kill you. Like if Yeah, it took, me, it took me several tries to beat it, but I was also determined to do it alone, like not summon Solaire. There is something very, very zen about getting to that point in Dark Souls 1 where like, you don't have any souls left, you don't have any humanity left, you are just throwing yourself against this boss over and over and over again. And if you're doing it at soul level 1, like, there's literally basically nothing else that you can do. Like, You can't go grind for souls to increase your levels. You can't, and you can't get summons either because soul level 1 people aren't yeah. putting their sights down. Yeah, I've done. I've helped people at Soul Level One before, but that's only with like prearranged. Like, oh yeah, I'll bring my Soul Level One character over there to do the thing. Like, it's only that kind of stuff. Like, nobody's just like naturally hanging out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. It's interesting, all right. That's that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I mean, for me, what I like about those games, these games, more than anything, is it really is about overcoming really difficult odds, which ever. I mean, they're not the hardest games. They're not as hard as people like to act like they are, but they're still more difficult than the majority of games out there. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of it is there's so many ways to approach it. So many different builds you can do, so many levels you can have, so many ways to fight. You can be alone. You can have one friend, two friends, three friends, strangers, however you want to do it you can get through the game. And that's why the replay value is so high. That's why they're so popular more than anything. Because mm-hmm. it's, how do I overcome this? When did that idea kind of cement in your head of like, you know, this 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 game was teaching the lesson of you can just keep going and you'll eventually get through? 
I don't know if I can think of any specific moments. I, but when I finished, really, when I just beat Gwyn for the first time, I was like, holy crap, I'm a guy that beat Dark Souls. I never thought I would be someone that could beat Dark Souls. I never, seriously, I didn't play a lot of them, but Dark Souls just seemed like it was so far out of my realm of what I could do that when I actually beat it, I was really proud of myself. Hmm. And I didn't know how to parry Gwyn either, so I had to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man going through that game and not learning how to parry and then getting to the end boss it doesn't require you that to, to know how to parry but like kind of really really helps is like that's i know it's not a troll like i know it's not a it's not a joke or anything but it's just so funny to me that like people will say oh i didn't even know that you could parry until the very end of the game or those kind of things like that just always cracks me up for some reason i was really bad at parrying i'm still really bad at parrying uh, I got I got decent with Silver Knights. That's what I practiced on the most. Yeah, that was mostly the... because I spent dozens and dozens of hours just getting summoned in Anorlando. I've gone through that whole area who knows how many times because it's so fun to run through with one or two other people. I would do that for like my at the time my, my wife was traveling quite a bit, and uh, so I would have evenings all to myself and. I would just hang out on the couch with my summon sign down, read a book, get summoned, kill Ornstein and Smo, read a book, get summoned, <laughs> kill Ornstein. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that would be exactly. like my that's whole evening. That, that would be all I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do too. It was really fun. That's and probably why I had I so much time to post on the Something Awful forums. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I was just posting in between getting summoned. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, after Dark Souls 2... Um, like, did you run out and buy the PlayStation 4 for Bloodborne, or were you... Yeah, I got a PlayStation 4 specifically for Bloodborne. Bloodborne remains uh, that the time. $450 video game machine. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was the only game I had for a long time. And so by that time, I had graduated college. Um, so that girl I'd been dating after five months of long distance. It wasn't a very good relationship to be in. Like, it was pretty healthy. We got along really well. We were good friends, but really we shouldn't have been dating as long as we did. I wasn't mm-hmm. that happy in it. But because I'm a person that suffers from so much anxiety, I never knew how to end it. I was so anxious about the actual breakup that in the end, you know, it was way worse than it should have been. So we broke up late 2013. And then I finished school in August 2014. Uh, studio art at Brigham Young. So that's like painting and drawing. So that's what I do a lot of the time. Okay. And then I got a job as a full-time graphic designer for this company. And it was the worst place anyone could work. <laughs> it was such a, such a negative and unhealthy office environment. Oh, oh, that sucks, man. Yeah. I recently had a job interview where the person who was interviewing me used to have my same job at that same place like 10 years ago. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm sorry you went through that. No other places like that. And that was, even to this day, that's really my only full-time office job experience I've had. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like it was the, the most negative experience you've ever had. Oh, it was. And I served a mission and I'm not LDS anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty bad. And it's the worst my anxiety's ever been by a long shot. And Bloodborne came pretty close to the end of my time there. 
but it gave me something to look forward to because I moved up to Salt Lake City. I've been living in Salt Lake for the last two years. Uh, great city. I really love it here. And but I didn't really have that many friends. Like the place where I went to college, it's only 40 minutes away, but you know, I wasn't going down there that much. I never go down there anymore. So I was essentially just going to work, coming home. There's was always some anxiety. It's tiring. I would come home and I'd fall asleep at 7 p.m. Because every morning I'd end up waking up at like 3 in the morning with my heart racing because I was so dreading the next work day. But when Bloodborne came out, it gave me something to look forward to and something to play. That first night it came out, I mean, like most people, it took me three hours to get through the beginning of Central Yarnum. <laughs> you know, you have to unlearn all these mechanics from Dark and relearn. You have to learn how to play Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. But it was nice having that to focus on and taking my mind off this job that I really hated. And this was the time when I first started taking antidepressants. It was about... was couple weeks before Bloodborne came out. But at least I had this job. It was well-paying, so I could actually afford the PS4 and get the game. And it wasn't didn't break the bank, really. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, shitty jobs actually sometimes pay you pretty well to make you, <laughs> I guess, to make you want to stay in your shitty job for even longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, the most miserable I've ever been in my life was by far the most money I've ever made. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't really... It was entry level kind of pay, but you know, when you're single, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, uh, like, it's, and I know it's just a video game thing, but I, th- I think about how dark and kind of consuming the world of Bloodborne is, and it, <laughs> like, as someone who was suffering from anxiety, like, seeing, hearing that you were putting those issues aside in favor of like making Bloodborne making you happy, like that's a hard thing for me to connect. Like, cause I look at Bloodborne like, and it's just like, Oh man, like the world is so oppressive and everybody yells at you when they want you when, and they try to kill you at the same time. Like, it just seems like the worst. <clears throat> yeah. But the difference is when my boss yelled at me or was emotionally killing me, I couldn't do anything about it. And Bloodborne, I could fucking murder all of them. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's very true. Oh Bloodborne, man. You're, you're killing gods. You're killing Lovecraftian horrors and mobs and werewolves and aliens and all sorts of nonsense. It was a satisfying thing to get through. It's a really trippy game. It is that. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's why we play video games, isn't it? It's easy solutions. It's, it's immediate reward. Real life isn't like that at all. Real life is nothing like a video game. In real life, you don't get to... You know, you don't just level up after, you know, an hour of existing. <laughs> yeah. Your life is difficult. It's a slog. There's not that kind of progression. Some people go through life and they do get that, but most of us don't. I mean, you're stuck in one place for years at a time. That's just the way it is. That's the way humanity has always existed. In video games, we get an escape from that. That's why we play them. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of Dark Souls. It's so empowering to go through and play Dark Souls 1 because I know what I'm doing. There are very few parts in that game. Even alone, I, there's not a single boss in that game. I haven't beaten you know, without any summons pretty easily. Like 
I don't remember the last time the Capra Demon killed me. I can take that guy down the first try now. Because <laughs> I know exactly how to roll and get up those stairs and kill those dogs and then drop on its head. And my weapons are strong enough to deal with it by that time. And the Capra Demon has not has not learned that lesson of not sending his dogs up there or chasing you up there so that you can... Like, he hasn't, he hasn't changed, whereas you have, obviously. Yeah, the Capra Demon is some little computer program. It's a bunch of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing. It's electric. And it's easy to beat. <laughs> Like, even Ornstein and Smog, if you have one summon, they're not very hard. They're hard if you're by yourself, like, pretty much no matter what. But if there's one other person in the fight with you, they're not very difficult as long as the other person is competent. Yeah, all they have to do is just literally, like, stay alive and keep the, you know, the second boss that you're not fighting off of you. Like, that's it. They don't even have to attack, really. (laughs) Just hang out. And... You know, none of the other endgame bosses are really that difficult. After that, I can't think of any boss that's very hard except in the DLC. Even in the DLC, Manus is the only one that gave me a lot of trouble. I think Artorius was um, a big stumbling block for me the first time I fought him. Just because like up to that point, it didn't really feel like the enemies had been that aggressive. It didn't feel like that they had had like, a huge repertoire of moves and... and they didn't vary up those combos as much as Artorias does. And Manus is like an extension of that. Manus is all of that, but like, you know, oh, times Manus. two. Manus yeah. is by far the most difficult boss for me in that game. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's true I for most people. my first time. I just did the arrow thing. Did the arrow trick? Because <laughs> I was so fed up with trying to beat him the real way. I've since done it, but I actually didn't do the DLC for Dark Souls 1 till last summer after I'd played through Bloodborne a few times. Then I went back to Dark Souls 1, and that's when I really tried other builds and was playing it a lot that's when uh i wrote my whole little my whole little screed that i emailed you mm-hmm. about dark souls and the human condition mm-hmm. that you know we'll be getting into more as we talk right now uh was when i was going through the game last summer and my depression was really bad uh i had quit that job because it was so terrible and i had been freelancing that's what i've been doing since then for the most part is freelance graphic design it definitely has its ups and downs. And I was feeling pretty miserable. I couldn't really, you know, afford to stand into depressants, but I also wasn't at the job that required me to get them. Because okay. I took them for my anxiety, not my depression. But because I stopped taking them, the depression really hit on, and Dark Souls was my escape. And, you know, so I was playing it through that lens. So yeah, you would just quit this horrible job. You're off your meds that you hopefully you don't even need at that point. And then, but I mean, I shouldn't have. I haven't you know gotten on them since, but mm-hmm. I didn't you know I was pretty okay. But I've, right after I quit my job, you know, I got into freelancing. I got you know some good work. I did an art show. I did all these portraits of different friends of mine. Came and posed for me. And while I was doing that, I was just playing a lot of Dark Souls in my free time. And that's when I got into podcasts a lot. I never listened to podcasts at all before then. Bonfire Side Chat, I was listening to all the time. Because, you know, a lot of it had already come out. You know, they had their Dark Souls 1, 2, and I think they were in the middle of Bloodborne then. Mm -hmm. And I was just catching up on it, listening to it while I was playing. Hundreds of episodes of that podcast in your backlog, probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And yeah. 
Yeah, I had a lot to listen to, and there's a lot I never did. And you've noticed at this point, I've never brought up Demon Souls, and I do have it, but mm-hmm. I never really got far into it because every time I tried to start playing it, I just wanted to play Dark Souls One instead. I can understand that because Dark Souls One feels like it just feels like the refined version of it. And I know a lot of people will disagree. A lot of people prefer Demon Souls even. But I had a hard time with it just because I love Dark Souls 1 so much. And that's my problem with Dark Souls 2 as well. Is that just makes me want to either play Dark Souls 1 or Bloodborne or 3. Because I love, love, love all three of those games. Yeah. And there, there's a clear mechanical improvement between those three games, I think. Like, you could go yeah. from Dark Souls 1 to Bloodborne to Dark Souls 3 and not really feel like you've gone backwards in any kind of way whereas yeah exactly i feel like a real progression Mm -hmm. dark souls 2 changed a lot up like i feel like they were fixing things that didn't need to be fixed in my eyes anyway so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of regression with that whereas dark souls 1 was really just an advancement of what demon souls had done in almost every way whereas bloodborne and dark souls 3 they keep all those things I really love about Dark Souls 1, except for the world layout, and do things their own way that I really enjoy too. There are three very different experiences for me, and I love them all for what they are. So at this point, um, the the original email that you wrote me, you included this, I think you called it a scribe. <laughs> you included like this, this kind of written um it's, <laughs> yeah, not, it's it was, not a paragraph but it's a let's call it an essay for lack of a better term like it's a it's written essay, essay it's, about, a, it's a stream of consciousness there kind of go. thing that i wrote about a year ago and what was the well, and we don't have to we don't i don't want to like read directly from it or anything but I, i'd no. like to i'd like for you to talk a little bit about and this is only if you're comfortable but uh no, what I'm led what led you to write it um and then also what it what it is and, and how you kind of came to those dis- those conclusions that you wrote about well this was a time i'd been you know been listening to a lot of bonfire side chat and i really love the way they analyze every area in the game i love their approach so extremely analytical i love i love tearing things apart and understanding how they work i mean i went to art school which is pretty harsh. It's a, it was a difficult program I was in too. But the harshness is we critique everything all the time. You critique and you interpret, and you get you get a sense of it doesn't matter what the original intent is. What only matters is what I think about it. Which is why you know I can't complain about Vadir any of those other guys, even if I disagree, because we're all entitled to interpret art our own ways. That's what art is. Video games is, you know, a piece of art as much as, you know, any film is. It exists to make money, but the people making it are passionate about it and are trying to do something good with it, even if it is just, you know, someone's stock price going up is its ultimate purpose. So listening to the way that those guys analyze the games and you know my background in that and critiquing everything is and what I was going through at the time and I'm still been going through depression and anxiety uh, it was really interesting to interpret the game that way whether or not it's intentional any piece of art anything that a person makes is part of the human experience and doesn't matter what they intended it to be because you know they're and they're going to intentionally or not 
be giving us a reflection on humanity and the world. And humanity is the key word. Because in Dark Souls, the word humanity and the word soul have nothing to do with what they mean in the real world. Hmm. But, or do they? That's what's confusing to me. The word, like, what is humanity? What does humanity and Dark Souls mean to you? Um, I guess I could make an argument for it being uh, a small fraction of the first flame that, you know, Gwen split apart to give to his people. Um passed down via manis into what we'd consider humanity or you know humans as opposed to giants or dragons or anything else um in the context of dark souls one it seems like consuming that humanity is taking a little bit of that fire inside of you so it's connecting you more to that world it's connecting you more to the source of that world um i've never i've never gelled that concept with the idea of having 99 humanities in my inventory <laughs> like it, there's <laughs> yeah. a very gamey thing to it and i think that you know it's it's a core mechanic of the game to change your state as far as like mechanics are concerned but i, I really feel like the original intent was to have you connect more to that world and like, allow you to see more of that world in a very similar way that bloodborne treats insight yeah exactly yeah humanity and that's real interesting and Something I want to discuss, the differences between uh, Dark Souls in that sense, humanity versus insight. Dark Souls, it is about, it's connecting with these other worlds, but all you're doing is within the game, in the game logic, is you're interacting with parallel universes where other chosen, whoever the chosen and dead of this you know, alternate reality is is you're entering each other's realities. Like, that's what it is in Dark Souls. Some kind of insane quantum mechanics type thing. And that's one thing I love about the series, is the way they take really gamey things, like ridiculous game concepts, like, you know, you die and come back, or save points, or health restoration, and they give it an in-world explanation. But in the process, they've created this world that is only a bizarre reflection of reality. Like, everything about the Dark Souls universe is completely insane. Like, I don't understand how the history of that world could have ever resulted in civilization. <laughs> that looks just like ours for the most part, except with monsters and zombies. Because, you know, the metaphysics of it are completely different than reality. But they are somewhat of a reflection of it. I mean, you can interpret, you know, the first flame as a number of things, whether sure. you call it the big bang itself, but that doesn't really work because the world exists before its discovery. It's just this weird stale place run by dragons, which is a very mythological kind of thing. Like it was, there's something almost Norse about it. Uh, and then the discovery of the first flame, whether that's the big bang happening and the creation of the universe and order, because that's what it is. The first flame represents uh, order and progress, I would say, more than anything. But it's also, but what comes with order is entropy. Like you can try, you can build and build, but everything's still going to fall apart and weaken and decay over time. And all these, you know, whether they're would-be gods or humans or whatever they are in Dark Souls, the people that have created this civilization, all we're seeing is, you know, the aftermath. It's such an apocalyptic place. And maybe we come from, you know, 
one of those other lands where it seems like civilization is more intact, whether that's Vinheim or whatever. But all of them are suffering the same fate that Lordran is. It's this place that's Lordran somewhere that's already fallen apart and is, you know, decayed. And that's what's happening around the rest of that world because like whatever this first flame is doing and whatever humanity is like this attempt to organize everything, you know, can only go so far before everything falls apart. And I mean, that's the history of human civilization, isn't it? Mm Because it's just a fight between order and chaos because what happens is order will, you know, go one way until we're all displeased with it. And then some kind of revolt or revolution or whatever happens and we're back to chaos. And that's, the entire still happens in many countries and places around the world all the time. It could happen to us. We don't know. We feel so secure because we've been America's more or less been one thing for so long. It's hard to imagine it falling apart, but it could happen to us too. So what was, what is happening that makes you, so you're listening to Bonfire Side Chat. You're taking this analytical approach to Dark Souls in a way that you probably haven't up to that point, which is also making you question kind of your your the own th- the the things that you were yourself are going through in the real world. Yeah, and that's kind of what leads you to this. Let's just call it an essay again <laughs> to come into. It's a poorly edited essay, is what it is. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um. So what leads to that? Well, I mean, it's mostly just me interpreting the game. I know I keep going off on various rants, but that's essentially what that original essay was. Anyways, a rant. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that struggle of humanity is a personal struggle that all of us have. And what is, like for me, what's humanity in Dark Souls? Mm-hmm. Humanity is this link between the fire, but also the age of dark. I mean, what's the abyss is overrun with humanity and the game is like that warring faction of, you know, uh, um, Koth, I'm forgetting everyone's names. That's okay. Yeah. Koth, <laughs> the yeah. serpent. Yeah. Or, Koth um, uh, Frampt. And, uh, the other Frampt. One. Right. Well, I got to replay through Dark Souls 1 again. It's been a little while. <laughs> uh, like Frampt is like the flame. Koth is humanity, at least to me, like the age of fire versus the age of dark. And humanity is linked to both, but it's kind of sided with the age of dark because, you know, that's Manus. That's when you do the DLC. That's when you're actually fighting all those humanity sprites. And so humanity itself is trying to overthrow order. It's trying to, is trying to like, I'm not happy with the way things are, so I want to change them. I want to do something about it. The results of it be damned. Let's just, let's just overthrow the system. Mm-hmm. But that's something we're all kind of fighting with internally, isn't it? Whether that's, you know, a mental illness you have, or if it's trouble with money or whatever that could be is we've all got our own personal issues and our own personal problems. And what makes us uniquely human is our approach to overcoming that. 
And that's why I like that use of the word humanity, even if it means something completely different than the dictionary definition, even if it is just a number in your inventory. It's the idea that you are taking control of the situation. But what ends up happening, humanity is this extremely difficult, wild thing that's really hard to control. So is the first flame. Humanity, the abyss gets overrun with humanity. It, whether you think Manus is the first pygmy or whatever, uh, like it's leaking out into the world. And one thing we're doing is putting a stop to it. You're fighting against yourself throughout the entire game. Like no matter what you do in that game, there's no solution to anything except murder. Hmm. It's not Undertale where you can talk your way out of situations. You're just killing things. A lot of things that you shouldn't even be murdering. Like Quaylog. There's not much evil about Quaylog. I mean, she's just trying to help her sister. Yeah, she's 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 trying to help her sister. She doesn't even go out of her little cave to abduct people. She just kills the people that are trying to kill her. That's exactly it. Yeah. Do anything evil. And we like, why in the world, why in the world do we kill Sif? Why don't be like, yo, why don't we just go talk to Sif? (laughs) Be like, Hey, this is just a puppy with a sword. That's really upset. You can even go back in time and fight with this dog, go back to the present. And, you know, obviously if you do things in that order, where if you, rescue Sif and fight Manus in DLC, and then you go and fight Sif in the present, there's that different cutscene where Mm -hmm. Sif recognizes you. And you have no choice but to murder this poor puppy. (laughs) And that's all the game is. is It's almost a commentary on video games itself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of shoving that in your face of, actually, you're probably not a good guy at all. There's no solution to the problem that's happening, or at least the solution you have, whether you're linking the first flame or letting it die. No matter what you do, you're just thrown back into the undead asylum in the beginning. Yeah, the best thing that you could ever do to the the world and the characters of Dark Souls is to literally not play or exactly. interact or interact with them at all. <laughs> like, exactly. That's, like if that's you want, my point. If you want Solaire to have the happiest ending, don't speak to him and he will always be hanging out on that cliff just chilling. <laughs> the only way to win is for your character to go hollow and for you to stop playing the game. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's what it is. But so what, it's so fun what, to play. What from that did you take back into into you know your, your in the real world life? Like, what did you take take back from that? I mean, what the reality is, and this is something that has really only recently, I've very very recently kind of gotten back in. Is I came to that conclusion. I was like, oh, maybe I should not play this game so much. <laughs> I'm playing too much. I'm playing too much Dark Souls. Um, I mean, this year it's been, I've been playing too much Rocket League. but Which has its, it's own sort of time. metaphysical implications for the how that we deal with the real world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you've played it. It's one of my all-time favorite games. I think it's amazing. Yeah, but yeah absolutely. Yeah. You're putting all this time and all this effort into playing these video games. And, like, they don't matter at all. Like, I play Rocket League all the time. I play with a buddy of mine. And we'll like have our little, you know, headsets in and talking to each other. 
and I can get so into it and get so angry about things. And so can he. And I have to constantly say, it's a good thing none of this matters at all. Like, at all. Even a little bit. This does not matter beyond the immediate satisfaction that it brings us. And for me, the more video games I play, it means the more miserable I am with my life because I need the escape. And a couple weeks ago, I just made a decision to play fewer video games. I was like, I'm going to actually listen to that advice I gave myself a year ago. (laughs) But the thesis of Dark Souls is that we should stop playing it. I'm going to listen to that. And, you know, I've been playing way fewer video games lately while I'm trying to get my career back on track, trying to get through my own depression, my own anxiety and relationships and all of that. Mm -hmm. I want to join. I want to be a part of the real world. Like I wasn't, I know a lot of people that are listening to this, a lot of people, the kind of people that are posting on the internet and involved in these communities. Uh, video games is always this escape they had their whole lives. You know, a lot of us are kind of weird people, maybe friends or whatever. For me personally, I wasn't really like that for most of my childhood. I mean, I was always kind of a weird dude, but, you know, I played sports. My friends were sort of the popular kids. I was People knew who I was. I wasn't like your stereotypical outcast. I was never like the cool guy or that much, but I was part of like the popular crowd. You know, I was going to parties. I was doing things. I wasn't really playing that many video games. My friends and I were, we, I grew up in small town, Ohio, where, you know, we hung out at the mall a lot. We would go to local shows and make dumb movies and we were very active. And... When I was 17, my family moved from Ohio to New Mexico. And this was a month before I was starting my senior year of high school. And I had lived in the same town since I was five. From ages five to 17, I'd been in the same place. It was my hometown. I mean, it's a small place, about an hour outside Columbus. Uh, Not a lot to do, but it was, you know, it was my home. And I loved it there. And I was always a really happy kid. And then I moved across the country to brand new high school, brand new town, living in New Mexico, uh, much higher elevation, way drier climate. Everything about it was different. Every, like the culture, the everything. I didn't have all my friends. And that was when I first was dealing with depression. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't realize I was like suffering from very severe depression my senior school. But I was from having an extremely active social life to having almost zero social life. Like the only people I really hung out with for the, you know, most of my senior year were like the other Mormon kids, but I didn't really get along with them that well. Mm-hmm. Like I got along, but I didn't have that much in common with them. Um, like I grew up in a pretty, in a very Mormon family, uh, very religious. Uh, my parents were both converts to Mormonism, but they were both from Utah and they moved to Ohio right before I was born. And my mom, like, I guess, always hated Ohio. I had no idea she hated it there because she's a huge avid skier. Like, she's a ski instructor in the winters. And she did it when she was young, and she's been doing it the last few years. And she, like, just hated Ohio, hated the humidity, just didn't like the culture, didn't like anything about it. So she had been miserable all this time. And then this job opening happened back out west, closer to where my parents grew up, that same kind of environment. And it was a really tough thing, but my parents took it. 
and I got dragged across the country. I was like, no one else in my family really suffered at all from this move like I did because it was right before my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And it caused this depression that even to this day, I've only really, you know, not been going through in little spurts. Like I was in New Mexico for a year. I had my, my high school graduation. I felt like I was watching somebody. these people were hardly. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, the valedictorian was someone I didn't even recognize. The teacher that spoke was a teacher I never had. I just, I never felt like I got that closure on my childhood. And then I went to school. I had always planned to go to Ohio State University, but not being an Ohio resident, I didn't have in-state tuition. So that's when I ended up at Brigham Young. Uh, I was there, did my year there. And my freshman year there, I was pretty happy again because I had a social life. Like when you're living in dorms, you're kind of forced to. And I had these friends I was with, you know, played a lot of Xbox and goofed around and did things. We were all kind of like artsy people, a lot of theater kids, uh, film, people that went on to be film majors, me who became an art major. Mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Mormonism. You have that kind of Southern accent, so there's probably not too many Mormons where you're from. Um, I've seen Big Love, like a few yeah, episodes of Big Love. Uh, so I'm assuming that I'm an expert now, right? Like that's how that works. Uh, uh, Big Love is based on fundamental yeah, yeah. Mormonism, which I've never actually seen the show, so I don't know how much of it is accurate to my experience with the church. And I grew up in Ohio, which like there's Western Mormon culture, and mm-hmm. then there's like the rest of the world. Where like Utah is such a weirdly unique city, uh, idiosyncratic place, and then that kind of leaks out to the rest of Mormonism around here, its own specific culture, mm-hmm. and and I was experiencing that for the first time, really, first in New Mexico, and then when I got to BYU, and it was really weird and different for me, and I didn't really like it at all. Like the, what I had thought this church had always been wasn't really what it was. But when you're a Mormon, you're so pressured, especially as a young man, you're really pressured to go on, go on a mission. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can leave for when you're 19. So I did my freshman year of college and then I left and went on a mission. Uh, you don't get to choose where you go at all. I got picked to go down to Brazil. So that's what I did from November 2006 to November 2008. I was okay. in Brazil. Wow. <laughs> and that's two years where the only communication you really have with your family at all is email. And that's once a week you can check your email. You call home twice a year. And you're not really allowed to talk to any of your other friends at home. You don't get to do anything else. You don't get to watch movie video games or any of that. Mm-hmm. And I was miserable that whole time. Like well, I had a couple times... Especially if you were a a relatively social person and you had just gotten back into that, to be taken away from that, I would imagine, was pretty powerful, which is pretty hard. Yeah, your social life as a missionary is being forced to spend 24 hours a day with people you don't get to pick. Um, Like, you always see missionaries that walk around in twos because you have a companion. You have to be around each other all the time. If you're not with them, then you're a missionary. But some of them were guys I really loved guys that you know i'd hang out with after we all got home and a lot of them were guys who i wanted to shove a brick in their head just wanted to like guys you just hate it 
and you don't get to choose it. And it's such a weird environment to be in. And after a while, you barely even get a sense of what your life was before because everything about your life is being a missionary. And all you really have is like your personality and your ties, but you don't have an individual identity <laughs> beyond elder, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I did that for two years and it was tough. I mean, I was a pretty good missionary, followed the rules, but I was struggling with my own personal faith throughout all of that. And I came home and once later I was back at Brigham Young, uh, probably Utah, like Mormon central. Brian, I'm going to do with my life and, you know, never really always trying to recapture that feeling I had as a teenager of when I was like a happy social kid before I moved across the country and got all depressed, I felt like I was spending, you know, the first half of my twenties, just trying to get that feeling back and never being able to. So so with all of that going on, then your relatively recent realization to kind of hold off on playing video games, to focus on your life and your career and to bring this around to back to dark souls for a few minutes. Of course. Do you see, like when you hear the news about like from software moving on from dark souls and making other games or this could dark souls three being like the last in the series and, and things like that. Like, are you looking at that now as like, that's, this is going to be a, a chapter on your life that you can close and that you're going to move on that like, maybe it helped you and now you're kind of done with it. Or do you think <laughs> that there'd be something like if they sneak in a dark souls four or if it's, you know, dark souls and everything, but the name it's, it's robots or whatever, like who cares? Like, do you think you'll be tempted to go back into it to, to explore those worlds again? Or do you think you're going to try to stay away from them? Oh, I would definitely play them. I just can't take them so seriously. <laughs> like the realization you have to get is however you want to interpret it whatever reflection it's going to have on reality like i've been saying the way these games are like for me a metaphor for the human uh it's just it's just a goddamn video game like <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean it's a piece of entertainment mm-hmm like, I, it's great that it brings joy to people. Uh, I loved your podcast you did. It just came out a few days ago. Uh, one of the two Gavs, I think, mm-hmm. uh, where he talked about his depression and how Dark Souls helped him get out of it. Liam. That was, that was Liam. Or that was Liam, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was beautiful, but that's not really my experience. My experience is that Dark Souls or Rocket League or whatever dumb video games I play they're just they exist so i can ignore my issues so i don't have to think about them like when like i was saying when bloodborne came out and i was working my terrible job it was my escapist fantasy where i gotta murder the things that were trying to murder me instead of you know meekly having to listen to some boss that was always down my neck that was impossible to please but it's an you know it's a little escapist fantasy but it doesn't it doesn't help me in my actual life in any real way. Hmm. And, but I know there's a lot of people that do, and there's a lot of people that listen to your podcast that do, and I never want to take that away from them. Well, that's that was, I'm not going to say it was one of my stated goals when I started the podcast, but the more I, more episodes that I do and the more I talk to people, like the more I realize that 
this series of games in particular and games in general have such a deeper impact than I really ever originally thought of um, before I started having like these hour long conversations with people. But Dark Souls very specifically just has like very different ways of hitting people and affecting their behavior in the real world. So Exactly. Yeah. I'd, I would have yeah, never I'd, come to all these conclusions about video games if it weren't for Dark if, Souls. If it wasn't for the best one of all time, right? Because it's the best game of all time and it ruined <laughs> it ruined all the other games for me. It literally ruined video games. It ruined. <laughs> hopefully hopefully Breath of the Wild, the next Zelda game, will unruin some of that for me. Sure, yeah. absolutely. I am looking really forward to that. And it looks like a pretty positive, happy game, unlike Dark Souls, which are so depressing yeah. and oppressing all the time. Absolutely. But what I love about Dark Souls and you know, my approach to it most of the time is as hardcore as it looks, like this like grim medieval dark fantasy setting is mm-hmm. ultimately that's just a thin veneer for a really silly, goofy, fun game. Like, there's so many dumb jokes and so many silly things in the games. Like, you know, you're fighting bone wheels and <laughs> I don't know, all, all kinds of ridiculous creatures. Oh, I mean, there's, I mean, funny just dialogue. They're funny games. The the goofiness that's that's around like Dark Souls two and three, like especially in Scholar, like one of my favorite NPCs that they added in the Scholar edition is this guy named Bashful Ray, which just with the name alone is like, he's probably one of the best of all time, but he's the student in a full ninja outfit that will roam around and like kill everybody for you. And then when he's not doing that, they programmed him to take out the binoculars and just like go sightseeing. Yeah. I love a lot of that stuff they did for that. Like, game. That's so weird and interesting. And I, I, I very much want them to make a game at some point. That's that, that not necessarily with all of the dark and depressing stuff, but still with a lot of that weird with a lot, with a lot of those weird characteristics. But yeah, well, I, I, guess helpful, we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> the most helpful NPC you can summon in Dark Souls 2 is a guy that's dressed like a stupid court jester. <laughs> and he's also the guy that probably has killed the most people as an invader NPC. Oh, that, was, that was the most <laughs> difficult one to beat, for sure, for me. That's Jester Thomas. Oh man, when Jester oh my god, when he invaded, I I was blown away. That was such a good that was such a good moment in the DLC. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was a good time. Oh, those DLCs were fantastic. Those are the best parts of that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, by far. far none. Yeah. But um, that's what I want, too, what you were just saying, is I really want From to make a game that where they take all those great mechanics, the customization, the fashion souls aspect of it, and make, like, a sillier, more lighthearted game out of all that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an armored core game or something else, I don't know. Or just, just you know, you know, just something that's not doesn't have to be quite as violent. Although I'm so into the like PvP side of things that like I really like. If, if your main character was a kid, I wouldn't feel comfortable invading other kids' worlds and killing them. So oh, man, that sounds way more fun to me. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lewis, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day and, and coming to spending an hour with me and talking about Dark Souls. That's very yeah, much appreciated. Um, yeah. Can where can people find you on the internet? Um, I mean, I don't have too much of an internet presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm an artist. And if you want to Google M. Lewis Barker, you'll find my stuff. Uh, whether that's my Tumblr or my website or whatever, you'll find me doing that. Uh, I also, my band put out a record a couple of years ago. And you can find it at wildapples.bandcamp.com. Kind of a weird indie rock jazzy thing that we did. Okay. 
and you can download it for free if you want. Oh, nice. um, that's about it for me. Excellent. Well, uh, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast on Twitter at DGUS Podcast. If you want to come onto the show like Lewis did, send me an email, dguspodcast at gmail.com. Just include a brief outline of you know your history with the soul stories. I literally have not turned down anybody up to this point, and I'm 50-something episodes in at the time of this recording. So if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not, I'm not near as interesting as Lewis or as your other guests that you've had, like you probably are and you just don't even know it. Um, please send me an email. I want to get as many people on the podcast as I possibly can. You can also, if you just want to spread the word about the podcast, that would help me out a lot. iTunes reviews, sharing on Twitters and Facebooks and all that stuff. Um, we do weekly previews of next week's episode on Instagram because I'm a social media network whore nowadays, apparently. So you can find that at Don't Give Up Skellies on Instagram. Just quick little video clips of the upcoming episodes. And remember, everybody out there, don't give up skeletons. Are we singing snow or has the grass caught